Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome back to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I'm sure that many of you listening, just like me, are fascinated about the current spotlight on the movement towards a skills-based organisation. This is completely disrupting the traditional job-based models that we have always known. And with 98% of organisations surveyed by Deloitte wanting to shift their focus towards skills rather than jobs, I'm curious to learn more about the drivers behind this movement. So in today's episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast, I'm speaking with Andreas Denev, co-founder and CEO of a cutting-edge modern-day skills workforce planning technology company called TechWolf about his insights into the skills-based revolution. Andreas will share his findings on the two types of motives companies typically have for moving towards a skills-based organisation and the impact this transition is having on these companies. Our conversation will also cover how to best get started and the data you should look at to take your skills-based approach to workforce planning to the next level. So if you're looking to move towards a skills-based organisation or in the early stages of doing so, then this conversation is for you. Let's kick off the discussion with Andreas. Andreas, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. But before we dive into the the interview, could could you share with the listeners a little bit about yourself um, and also TechWolf? I believe, for example, you've had some uh, Series A funding recently. I'll start with myself. Uh, so Andreas, a 26-year-old computer science engineer uh, out of Belgium, started TechWolf together with two uh, friends, classmates in 2018, uh, while still at uni. Graduated in 2020, raised 1 million in seed funding the same year. And earlier this year, uh, as you mentioned, uh, raised 10 million in Series A. Now a team of almost 50 people uh, spread across Belgium and our first international hub in London uh, as well. What made you get into the HR tech space and, and the skills um, space specifically? Yeah, it's a bit of an interesting story. As a bunch of students, uh, we wanted to make some money on the side uh, next, to, uh, next to studying. We had a lot of skills. Like if you're a master's student in engineering or in IT, like we knew how to program in three or four languages. We know everything about algorithms, data structures. But when we wanted to find a job on the site, we could, we could only work in hospitality. Uh, we were like, hey, how crazy is this? Like, there's all this news about war for talent, about like, we can't find IT talent. Here were like three engineers ready, ready for some flexible work, but no companies to be found. So we developed a matching algorithm to match like uh, last year, final, like, final year students to, uh, to companies. We then started commercializing kind of the idea like make it a little bit broader, like for general uh, candidate to job matching. And we started pitching it to CHROs. We said, hey, look, we developed this algorithm. It can help you like find the best candidates for your jobs based on skills. People really liked the demo, but they told us like, yeah, you're not really solving a problem right now because you know, there's not that many good candidates on the market. But what would be interesting is like, I'm pretty sure there's a couple of people inside my company who might have the perfect skills to fill this role, who might even be browsing job sites to apply for that very role at a different company, um, but I just can't find them. So uh, could you help me solve that problem? Could you match like this position with internal candidates? So we listened to the market, we pivoted, and then we uh, yeah we started focusing on on the skill problem at hand. As CEO and co-founder of a, of a fast-growing HR technology company focused on skills, 
How would you define a skills-based organization? It's it's an interesting question. And I think that like the shape, the shape of a skill-based organization strongly depends on the context at hand. So it might mean something very different for uh, for different businesses. We see two big groups of customers in the market. So one group of customers, they come to us with a, I would say, longer term view, more of a, a like fundamental belief. Um, and I think booking.com is a really good example. Uh, for example, they're a, a tech company from the Netherlands. I think most people probably know booking. They were founded in uh, 1996. It was the, the year I was born. So they're uh, they're not that old as a business. You're making me feel old, though. <laughs> Apologies. Apologies, David. And like at their inception, like they were a, a very nimble, agile company, and they used to disrupt an entire sector. And now, 11,000 employees later, they're a little bit more rigid. They kind of lost some of that agility. And like from the CEO, CHRO, like the, the, the leadership point of view, they want to regain part of that agility, part of that like, nimbleness. They realize that many of the people processes that they have in place are designed for a world that no longer exists, for a more static, a more rigid world. So they want to rethink their entire people strategy, their entire uh, set of people processes to be more skill-based, to have that extra set of granularity, to improve their speed to market. So that's kind of a first group of, of customers, like a, a long-term belief in skills as a primary framework of modeling and understanding talent. Then there's a second group of customers that come to us with much more urgent uh, challenges where like their V1 of a skill-based organization is a more short-term tactical one. One very prominent example that we see across our, our customers are big either engineering, technology, financial institutions, companies that need to undergo that digital transformation. They often face above average attrition in many of these digital roles. But when you look at the job architecture, when you look at like the frameworks that they have in place to service these people from an HR point of view, it's really subpar. And we have one customer that has over 20,000 people with the job title developer. So this is, this is a very tactical example, but they don't really know, like on a centralized level, they don't really know that much about these people. They are leaving the company and like the number one reason people give in their exit interview is, is like, yeah, there's absolutely no visibility on what else I could be doing in this organization. There's very little career uh, development. Um, so in many of those organizations, there, there's really a burning platform on attrition in a specific segment or a big reskilling challenge uh, or that needed to be fixed yesterday. And with the current process, they can't solve it. So they need to add that extra level of detail in understanding employees to better service them. Um, so those are kind of like the two groups that we that we see in like moving to skills or a skill-based organization, skills as a primary framework of modeling talent. But the time horizon is, is very different for, for many companies in the different groups. From the organizations that you work with, and you might have a couple of examples that you might want to share, what is the impact and the benefit of transitioning towards a, a skills-based organization? And maybe a, a, a small sidestep to, to that question. I think the real impact of like the companies and the economy moving to a skills-based model will only be visible or will, will primarily be visible in the very long term. Um, I feel like many companies um, even the ones that like 
say that they are working skill-based. Many of them are still trying to figure it out the same way that we are still trying to figure it out and that our customers are still trying to figure it out. It's a very emerging market, but it's still a very young market. The technology is, is, is very young. So I think like we shouldn't try to um, like boast and claim like, hey, we have solved this. I don't think anyone in the world has, has really solved it. So be really, really realistic uh, there. We have seen a couple of customers who did manage to deliver on specific business cases. I'm thinking of one uh, large financial institution uh, that we work with that identified a group of, uh, I think it was 2000 people who were in roles that like, according to their transformation roadmap and strategy would no longer exist two years from now. So they had this population that they knew like, yeah, the roles that these people are currently in, they will no longer exist two years from now. So how can we proactively reskill and potentially proactively redeploy these people into other pockets of the organization? By doing this based on skill data, you kind of see paths that are non-obvious compared to the job level, because some people, like you might have multiple people in the same role, but not all of them are a good fit for this specific opportunity or that specific opportunity, but some might because of like prior experience, specific skills that they exhibited during that role. So they managed to redeploy and reskill towards this, this, new, uh, this new career internally. They did that for about 300 people so far. And in cases like that, like the math's really easy. It's like hirings that you save, it's well, uh, severance payments. It's very good on the brand image. Um, like, especially as a financial institution, you don't want to be like, you don't want to have mass layoffs. It's not good for the people. It's not good for the brand. It's not good for the company. Um, so those are very, very tactical, easy to quantify, uh, I would say. Uh, and as a case, there's others where you can feel like a, a similar impact on like um, work, like strategic workforce planning being executed in a, in a way better uh, way, but where the impact is not as measurable um, as uh, as some of these other examples. There's some straight real benefits there. And as you said, the bigger benefits of, of a skills-based approach are probably, we won't, it won't materialize for, 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 for several years, but, but maybe it's stories like that that creates the momentum to invest more in this type of work. 100% with you on that. I saw a, I saw a report uh, last week, uh, it was about Twitter, how they started rehiring some of the employees they uh, previously let go. Um, and I think you'll see it with many, like many organizations that were like forced to restructure. But if you don't have that clear understanding of which skills are located in which pockets of the organization, uh, with which people, you probably can't do as good as a job in terms of like doing the restructuring. Um, and you might be like a couple months later, you might be trying to rehire skills that you accidentally let go. We, sh we shouldn't forget that while well, we're, also kind of like there's actual people involved here, not just like an Excel exercise. Like we lost a little bit too much of this. Let's, let's, let's buy them back in. Um, it's, it's actual people that we're talking about. So I'm 100% uh, on your side. Let's pause for a short moment while I tell you a little bit about the sponsors of this series of the podcast. TechWolf helps large organizations understand the skills of their workforce through AI-based skill inference, inferring skills from employee data. TechWolf provides an instant, continuous, and real-life objective skills overview of the skills you have, the skills you need, and the gap in between. 
Are you looking for insights into how companies like Booking.com, Alliance, BP, GE Healthcare, HSBC and Ericsson are adopting a skills-based approach across their entire organisation? Follow customer journeys and learn how these companies are transforming into skills-based organisations and preparing for the future at techwolf.ai. That's techwolf.ai. Welcome back to my conversation with Andreas Denev, CEO at TechWolf, where our conversation now turns to how to set the foundations for a skills-based organization. This shift is, is something, it's a, as you said, it's a bigger transformation than maybe we've, we've done, certainly in people management for, for a long time. I can't think of many. So it's, it's, I guess it's quite big and quite scary for, for organizations that are thinking of tackling this. But it's one of those things that potentially the benefits is there's there's clear benefits for the company, there's clear benefits for employees, and actually there's clear benefit for HR functions to lead the way in this because it can help them make them more strategic and, and have more impact. But as we've talked about, and we've already said two or three times, and you know, and I think it's important to reiterate, you know, being a skills-based organization isn't something that happens overnight. You need to set foundations from the start. Uh, a lot of organizations tend to struggle to get things off the ground. Obviously, you're you're working with some of these companies at the moment. Where should they start to, to so they can get off on the right foot? And, and and you know, what are some of the steps, for instance, that they should take? Like if you look at TechWolf, uh, like we're a pretty young organization. I would say that we're like probably part of like the second wave of vendors and tech providers that try to help companies move to a skill-based way of working. And that we had the opportunity to learn from the like slightly slightly larger companies and that I would say are part of the first wave. What we observe with many of the large companies is that they have taken steps toward that skill-based organization, but not all of them have the foundation in place. And for me, the foundation is is essentially two things. One is, well, that skill taxonomy, like a language for skills that is fit for purpose, that is dynamic and sync with the labor market, but definitely like adjusted for your specific organization and agreed upon with the business. So that because with skills, the problems that we intend to solve are business problems, not HR problems. So if there's no alignment with the business or with the rest of the organization, there's no point in, in building the house. So that taxonomy bit, like agreeing with the entire organization on like, this is a framework and a language that we're gonna use for skills and being able to share that language across workforce planning teams, people analytics teams, HR strategy teams, uh, learning function, talent function, TA function, like having that common ground is, is really important. I see a lot of large organizations and multiple of our customers who use different frameworks, different languages for skills and different tools that don't talk to one another. So like harmonizing what you already have and making sure that every piece that you add is also in harmony with what's already there, I think is a is a is a principle that not every company adhere to. So solving for that taxonomy piece is, is the first big part. The second big part is what I would call like the inventory of skills. I think companies should have like before you start adding tools or before you start trying to leverage this skill information in many processes, I think organizations should be sure that they have 
a high quality data set on the skills and skill gaps of, of employees. Companies have to realize that when you all of a sudden move from like job titles, which that are like static, it's one or two words. Uh, when you move to skills and you start modeling employees with like 20, 30 continuously evolving skills, that you add a lot of complexity to the process. Um, and you have to think about dealing with that complexity upfront. So what many organizations have today as a situation is that, yeah, they have skill data, but maybe on 50 or 60% of the people, it's, it's predominantly gathered through self-assessment or manager assessment. We did a scan on the data set, um, like the manual data sets that we got from some of our customers where we noticed that men, for example, tend to self-assess more skills than women. So like the, the underlying data set that many of these organizations are using in this skill-based model is somewhat crooked, which comes with its own set of business risks. Like you don't want to use this data for succession planning if you're putting women at a disadvantage. I'd love you to talk through the, the skills inference because I know it's something that you do at TechWalk and I, I know it's something a lot of people talk about, but I think occasionally it's a little bit misunderstood. Well, it's at the very core of what we do. And I think like the, the belief that we have at TechWolf is that skill inference or like getting to that like data set of what skills uh, do we have across the organization, who has which skills, that skill inference is not a feature but it's a, it's like a, a whole a whole problem, uh, like it's like a separate problem uh, in in the tech stack. So the way that we go about this at TechWolf, um, like we believe that many organizations, and this is true for all of our customers, they have a lot of data on employees in their organization more than they realize. Like they know which projects people worked on, they know uh, which files have been shared uh, with you. They know which public chat groups on Teams you are most active in. For a developer, they know which tickets have been assigned to you as a marketeer. Like they know uh, which content pieces you commented on uh, or like which uh, Asana or Monday.com tasks you are most active on. So organizations have a lot of data on like their employees at work. And we believe that they should, well, do the hard work, look at the data in those systems and because uh, like this is this is like one of my quotes like nurses don't treat patients in cornerstone and developers don't write code in workday so skill data is being created in work systems not in hr systems so we should like venture out and like look into these systems to see what are people actually doing from that data infer what skills they have and then bring that data back to the hr systems that need it rather than the quick and dirty approach of just in an HR system asking people like, hey, can you just tell me what you're capable of? Or can you just tell me what you do? So at TechWolf, we didn't build a user interface. So employees cannot log into uh, our system. It's, I would say like, it works completely underwater. But the way that we do interact with employees is by bringing the skill data to employees rather than trying to bring employees to our platform. So with some customers, for example, we have a Microsoft Teams integration where there's a small chatbot uh, in, that in a very explainable way sends you a message like, hey, David, I noticed you started working on this project. We also know that you worked previously in this role for two years and you have been very active in these groups. So like that information combined leads us to believe that you have acquired this skill. Do you want to add it to your profile? 
the thesis of of everything I just mentioned is is really that we should take as much friction as possible out of the process for employees to get that data set going. And once we get there, uh, like we hand the data over to people analytics practitioners, the HR strategy teams, but also learning experience platforms, talent marketplaces, because they are the very best in like delivering that experience. So it's almost like, you know, you're feeding these systems basically with consistency. You talked about having a common language, a common taxonomy of skills within an organization, an inventory of skills, which is what you help obviously these companies collect. And then you're basically surfacing that inventory in all the different applications that a company will use across the employee lifecycle that that actually helps them use that data effectively to deliver value for the employees themselves through relevant learning opportunities, relevant um, projects or, 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 or career mobility options, um, but also for the organization, because obviously that effectively your data is helping them understand the skills gap that they may or may not have. Um, and the extent of it and, and everything else. So yeah, yeah, very, very, very clever. And, and as you said, by doing the way you do it, um, you're effectively as close to real-time skills data. Um, whereas the traditional way of doing it in the past, it means you, you, it's out of date as soon as you've as soon as you've collected the information. So, and I think that's one of the one of the reasons why. So we've we've grown five x this year. One of the reasons why our customers come to us is because of the the sheer speed um if your acquisition process of like skill data is not dependent on adoption or manual interaction like you can get to that real time view on skills across your organizations as soon as you plug in the cables which is for many organizations like this is this is something hard to imagine because they are used to like multi-year implementation processes for for these big tools, but sometimes it can be as easy as well. And of course, there's it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Um, but if you don't depend on like adoption, you really shrink the time to value by a by a very large chunk. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap deepen your knowledge and press play on your career. So you talked about um, earlier how every organisation is different and I think that's a really important point um, to make. You know, each has their own operating model, goals and challenges and and despite at all helping a competitor, it may not actually work for for for, for their organisation. So, to help these businesses save save time, money, and, and tears, maybe, um, what should they be considering when when searching for the for the right uh, tool or tools for their for their business? I think it all comes back to the like to the initial why. Like, why are you moving to a skill based way of of working? Um, like, which category are you in? I would say 
depending on the urgency, like if it's super urgent, maybe the skills across the workforce are not that complex. Um, like a quick and dirty solution might do. One of our customers is an energy company uh, operating uh, two nuclear plants. And the local government decided to step away from nuclear energy in 2025. So all of a sudden you have a workforce of like 2,500 people. And now all of a sudden they need to be reskilled and retrained into dismantling this uh, power plant. So they had a very, very niche group of skills. They had a very niche problem um, and a very niche use case. So in their case, it was about like getting taxonomy right, getting, getting that first inventory of skills. But the platform that they then had to put in place, it was a hybrid learning to see like, hey, like these are the career options that you, that you have within the group, within the company, within the local uh, ecosystem. So they also include like external uh, jobs. Like they really wanted to do well for, for their employees. So it's not, a, it's not a cookie cutter use case, like, oh, we need to improve attrition in these departments or oh, we need to uh, improve the learner experience because we have a big uh, reskilling uh, challenge. So I'd say like different situations require different like systems, different, different strategies. You know, earlier on in our conversation, we talked about that we're still really at the early stages of this kind of shift towards a, a, a more skills-based approach. I mean, we, you mentioned talent marketplaces uh, uh, as well. You know, if we fast forward time, and I won't come back to you and mark your work in five years' time on this, I promise. If we fast forward to 2027 or 2028, you know, where do you predict that this whole conversation around skills and talent marketplaces will be? Yeah, I think there's there's multiple ways to look at it. Let's maybe start with the like the HR or the people process point of view, I think, on that side. I believe that like five years from now, we will have figured out collectively, like which are the quick win use cases uh, and how to execute on them, like as part of this skill-based transformation. Like I think that the general playbook that many companies are looking for will be pretty much out there. What I'm more excited about is the potential business side. So skills as a framework, they get, they get you a lot closer to measuring and quantifying value, like business value. So I believe that like when companies like get this, this data set on skills uh, and the skill-based transformation going, that HR will be able to communicate in a different way to the business. They will be able to say, look, we invested 40 million in big learning programs in these departments to acquire these skills. And when we look at like the evolution of our skill inventory, we see that we have adopted these skill sets at a pace that is three times as high as the market average or two and a half times as high as what we see in our specific geo with, with, with these named competitors. Um, kind of being able to link like the expenses, the investments that we make on the people side, link them to a business outcome and business value. I think it will help elevate the role of the CHRO and I'm kind of keen on like to kind of like transpose your question as to like how will skills impact the talent process. I'm more keen to to kind of peek into the future and see like hey how does like the skills and like this this more granular capability of understanding talent and reporting on it how will it impact the way that the business looks at HR and HR leadership? 
what are some of the main obstacles that HR leaders and professionals really need to overcome to, to fully transition into a skills-based organization? So, or maybe not fully transition, but to, to, to make progress. I would say the, the, the speed of organizations moving to skills, there, there are differences across our customers. And I'd say the differences are not necessarily tied to technological maturity of, or, or speed of the implementation, but more a general like data maturity within HR departments. The skill mindset implies that you have the opportunity to do a lot of things very different, but up until the point where you get like an, an HRBP or a, a TA professional to like sit at their desk, say like, yeah, this position has been open for two months. We don't have a lot of candidates. Maybe we can see what like other roles we could craft with like different job titles that might have more traction in the labor market that have 70, 80% similar skills to attract more candidates. Or a line manager who has like the, the instinct to say like, hey, let's like ask my HRBP whether there's other people in the organization who like might jump on this project rather than just like putting up a, cl a classical job posting. Like, I think it's, it's relatively easy to get going with skills at the top, like strategic workforce planning, like the HR strategy, reporting to the Exco, reporting to the board. I, I think that's the, the part that doesn't require a lot of change in the organization, but really making skills propagate until like into every fiber of that organism. I think that's the real challenge. Um, and that's something that will take time. And, you know, would your advice be to, you know, companies out there, you know, start with a pilot, for example, start with, you know, as you said, I, what I really like is one of the things that you said I really like is you, that what's the business problem you're trying to solve? Find an area of the business where you've got a business problem to solve, just like that, that company with the, with, the, with the nuclear plants, for example, and apply it there, learn from it, and, and, you know, and then iterate. And then if you're getting value, start to roll it out across other parts of the organization. Is that, is that something that you're doing at TechWall, for example? Yeah. And especially with many of the like big traditional companies um, that have some pockets of the organization, like either in IT or um, engineering or R&D uh, that are a lot more suited to get started with skills right now or where the use case is a lot more urgent. Um, companies should focus on that predominantly. I think companies should also really try to, like um, internally we call it value strikes, but like put points on the board for the business. Moving to skills has, it has a big magnitude. Um, and if you do it disconnected from like the business or, or you're not creating business value, then it's just like HR doing HR things. The most successful companies that I have seen work with skills, they, they solve a very critical business problem either like the attrition example or the redeployment example that I gave, or even the, like in the case of the nuclear plant provider, like that, that's a board level topic. Like, hey, what, what are we gonna do with this situation? Solving that local problem with skills or like solving that first big fire for the business often helps create leverage and momentum to then carry the broader skill-based transformation along, especially in organizations that are not as mature or where uh, the CHRO doesn't have the, the, the broad mandate um, to move to that skill-based way of working without linking it to a specific urgent uh, business case. So, so Andreas, this is the question we're asking everyone on this series of the, of the podcast. 
and you might end up recapping a, on a little bit that, that, that you've already said, which is fine because we'll, we'll create a short video out of this one. How can HR help the business identify and prioritize the critical skills it needs for the future? I see some successful companies rather focusing on um, like a proxy for that question, which is which skills could we use more of today? And typically the answer is very similar, but it's a lot, it's a lot easier to, to grasp. Um, I think probably every person and every team can answer this. Like, hey, if you could clone one person in your team, uh, who would it be? Like, would you like a second David Green or uh, would you like a second uh, person X? At one big energy company, they kind of proxied for like the skill demand by just looking at, okay, like which which internal roles, like from all of our roles, which roles couldn't we uh, backfill internally right now? So for everybody in the organization, like if this person left, like for which of those roles wouldn't we have enough candidates to like backfill the entire function? And they just like bundled all those skills and said, look, this, this is what we need more of. But I'm not sure if we, if we should focus too much on like trying to predict the future and like, hey, which skills will we need in five years time? Um, I think we should rather focus on like, hey, if we, if we had a, like a shopping budget and we could shop extra skills today, like which ones would we be acquiring? Because the like the end the, the end goal might be be somewhat different, but the direction will definitely be uh, pretty much the same, um, and it's a lot easier to answer that question. Yeah, I think it's a very practical answer, and and just to just say that my wife would definitely tell you, that, please, no, we don't want another David Green. One is more than enough. Um, and I think I'd probably have to agree on that. Um, <laughs> how can listeners get in touch with you, follow you on social media and find out more about the great work you're doing at TechWolf? Yeah, I think the the easiest way is probably to just directly shoot me an email. It's uh, andreas at techwolf.ai. So it's pretty straightforward. That's great. Andreas, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Really exciting to hear a progress that, that TechWolf's made in just a year since I last spoke to, to Mikhail on the podcast. So uh, keep, up the, keep up the good work and uh, look forward to hearing more in the future. Thank you. Thanks, David. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation and have learned a thing or two about setting the foundations for a skills-based approach to workforce planning. My thanks again to Andreas for sharing his time with listeners. If you did enjoy listening, be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any future episodes. We'd also be really grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media so others can enjoy the show too. If you would like to learn more from us at Insight222 and keep up with the latest industry trends, sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. For now, take care, and we hope to see you next week for another edition of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast.